Hey everyone, it's Jonathan. Welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon. Today's episode is part of a four-part miniseries on the South of the Border films from Disney's wartime era. These episodes were originally released in 2020, and instead of fully re-editing and creating all new intros and graphics, etc. for these, I'm just going to re-release them as they were originally created. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon on iHeart Movies. My name is Jonathan North, and today we're continuing our mini-series on Disney's Latin American films with the 2008 documentary, Walt and El Grupo. In this episode, Sarah and I will be picking up after our discussion of Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros, since we watched and recorded those episodes before getting into the behind-the-scenes stuff in this documentary. This period of history is right up Sarah's alley, so we had a great discussion. so glad that we reviewed Saludos Amigos as a reaction and just as our feelings about the cartoons before watching the documentary. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was a good idea when we did it before. I think it's an even better idea now that we've just had so much information Mm -hmm. packed in. And as a side, I just want to tell... Our dear listeners, for Christmas, I gave you guidelines on kissing corpses. Today, we're going to talk about Nazis, slavery, and politics. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Buckle up. (laughs) And I'm excited! Well, I guess we can just talk about a little bit about what this overall is. I think we talked about what it was in the other podcast. Basically, this is a documentary that details a trip that Walt Disney and a bunch of his artists took, I guess at the behest of the U.S. government. Yes. And underwritten by. Yeah, they paid for it. If it failed, they had Mm -hmm. a cushion. And which was very important because at this time... The studio was kind of in some dire straits. Like, if you are familiar at all with Disney history, you know that Snow White did great. They built their studio on Snow White. And then they pretty much had a bunch of failures in a row. And at the time that this trip happened, they were on their second really big failure, which was Fantasia. Which, I mean, today Fantasia is regarded as one of the greatest films that they made. It's a work of art. Jonathan's plug <laughs> yeah, for well, his beloved. I, I love the movie. But it did not make money back then. And It happens. The, <laughs> the studio was practically on the verge of going under. And I'd, I'd known about... There was a strike at the Disney Studios. And I'd known about this strike... But I didn't know exactly when it took place. I didn't realize that it took place at this time when the studio was 
on the verge of going under. And they gave a little bit of details, like, I think the people that were probably striking were the people that were the lowest paid, because yes. they talked about the lowest pay being $18 a week, while the highest was $300 a week. Which, this is 1940 or before. Yeah. Which is, yeah, not a lot of money. Yeah. So, I guess I can understand why the people only getting $18 a week would feel like they needed more. So, there's this whole thing going on. It sounded like the guy who was behind the strike, it didn't they it sounded like he he didn't even he, work there. He, he was just organizing the people. There was a proper channel to go through for the complaint that was going on. And the guy basically wanted to Walt to bypass that and go along with what he wanted and Walt wanted to go through whatever the up and up channel was and turned right around and there was a strike going on. He mm -hmm. didn't really have a chance to deal with it the way he wanted to deal with it. Yeah, because in the documentary it was like, they had like, a, I think it was a recording of Walt talking about, he said that he wanted there to be a vote on what the conditions for this agreement would be and then the, the guy refused and the next day there was a strike. Yeah, like, conveniently, I can't no... remember his name, and yet everybody knows Walt Disney, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the best things you can do, I think, when you're having a horrible time, if at all possible, is get out of the house. And if you can, get out of the state. And for Walt, thankfully, it was get out of the country. Mm -hmm. And it was really good for him. To get away from this whole mess. Yeah, it sounds like the opportunity for this trip came at the perfect time for him. Speaking of mess, the world's entrenched in World War II. We had not entered yet. But there were these countries in South America that could go either way. They could go with the Nazis or they could go with us. And Roosevelt was really interested in winning them over. Mm -hmm. So this was far from a joy trip. But Walt didn't want to just go over there and shake hands. He wasn't interested in that. But when he was approached to go and make art, make cartoons out of this, then he got on board with that. Mm -hmm. And that's where the adventure gets off. So this trip, basically, with the conditions that the government gave him, like, they're paying for everything. They're backing the movies. It basically saved the studio. It's because, the best kind of trip. Yeah. Where somebody else pays for everything. <laughs> uh -huh. I love those trips. <laughs> and at the same time, he didn't have to deal with the strike. They were going to take care of that while he was gone, which I can imagine would have been really stressful for him to try and parse out. And as it was, toward the end of the film, they talk about the results of that. It didn't sound like it was settling it to his satisfaction. And the, and you don't know whether he would have been able to do better himself. No, uh, probably not. Because, like we said, the studio is in debt. They basically had to cut a few jobs. So, I guess to compromise, they cut an equal number of people from the group that was part of the strike and the group that didn't strike. So... In the end, he had to lose a bunch of people, which I don't think he liked, but he 
he also kind of didn't have to deal with it since he was gone while all this was being sorted out. I don't know. There must have, there had to have been a better way. But it's too late. So, to the trip. I think it was 18 artists that ended up getting chosen. And really four countries, right? Brazil, Argentina, Peru, and Chile. Yeah, I believe so. And these artists were chosen basically because they were the best of the best. They were like Walt's top choices. Except for maybe Mary. Well, she was she was kind of a special case. They they had like a whole little section dedicated to Mary Blair because they chose her husband Lee and she was upset that she what she didn't get chosen. So, basically her husband encouraged her to go talk to Walt in person, basically make her case why she should be allowed to go on this trip. But be all gussied up and be persuasive. <laughs> yeah, and whatever she said, it must have she must have made a good case cuz he let her go along and she it ended wore, up she must have wore really nice perfume or something <laughs> it ended up basically changing her life because like her son was in the documentary talking about his parents art styles and he said that before this trip you basically couldn't tell his mother's from his father's and, artwork and they showed an example and it, it was yeah. basically the same and they were really good artists, but yeah. they were very similar. But this trip made her blossom. Yeah, and she became the Mary Blair that everyone knows. and Helped to design one of our favorite parts, really. Yeah, the train, yeah, the train sequence. Yeah, the black background. Yeah, and she went on to like be one of Walt's favorite designers. Like She took the lead on a bunch of projects. Like She's responsible for the look of Alice in Wonderland as well as backgrounds in so many movies. And she was given basically free reign to design, like, It's the Small World, the ride at Disneyland, which is, like, one of the most iconic rides there now, still going today. They touched on just what a unique and interesting person she was and how this really changed her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew who Mary Blair was before, and I knew that she was one of Walt's best artists through, like, basically through the 40s, 50s, at least a decade, somewhere in there. But I had no idea that it was because of this trip that she got to where she was. Another, even if we don't go through the whole list, another one that I think that is worth mentioning that went on that trip was a young man who was 28, and they thought maybe they took him along to avoid the draft. Very talented. I don't blame them. He Wasn't he the one that specialized in just... He was really good at communicating emotion. Like deep emotion through art. Do you remember his name? No. It wasn't Frank Thomas, was it? I don't know. Because he was the one animator that went. And then it was probably Frank Thomas. He would have been 28. I just looked up... He was born in 1912, so he would have been 28 in 1940. So, Yeah, he would have been the youngest dude. So, a big chunk of the documentary is told through letters and journals yeah. that all these people wrote to their family members. And then you have their, if they're still living, spouses reading them, or it's usually their children, and in one case a grandchild, mm that was reading 
all of these first-hand accounts of all the things that they did. It was really interesting to get that perspective on it, because I wasn't really expecting that, but it was neat that they included all those real letters. It was a good idea. Mm-hmm. And usually when they were having them read, they would use, like, pictures from the trips, and they then they'd have real footage, like, taken today. And one of the, I guess, the most striking examples was when they're talking about the Urca nightclub. They had or, a wonderful time there. Yeah, and then it was showing the footage from the end of Saludos Amigos, because they used that nightclub in Saludos Amigos. Yeah. And then it slowly faded in from this vibrant, happening place to this run-down, ruined place that's basically abandoned it's now. A, yes, absolutely abandoned. Yeah. Creepy. It was really sad, because it, it was, was such an awesome-looking place, and now it's which nothing. You know, you wouldn't need it to keep being what it was. But historically, it would be interesting, mm-hmm. and it would, if it could have been repurposed somehow. I don't know. That was just, it was such a contrast. Yeah. I mean, the building is technically still there, so I suppose there's still maybe hope that they could fix it, but it would need a lot of fixing because it was basically ruined. And the one of the things is the tour that they took, the order that you see the shorts in Saludos Amigos is almost an exact reverse of the order that they actually took on the trip. You know, Brazil's at the end, they started with Brazil, and so on down the line. And Brazil was really everybody's favorite, I think. Mm-hmm. And Argentina, there seemed like there was some melancholy, and I think that might have been the time that Walt got the news that his father had passed away. Mm. And between the politics of the situation and no easy transport, he didn't go home for that. Well, they said also that basically the world's on the brink of war, so there's no easy way to quickly get a flight well, back. Well, and already really, mm, yeah, over a year into the war. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing where it was sad for him to not be able to be there but at the same time he still was being spared from dealing with everything at home mm-hmm. so uh it's yeah heavy stuff there was somewhat of a complaint in the documentary it seemed like a complaining spirit about chili because their cartoon was about a happy little airplane and The thing was, in other places, they were treated more as diplomatic guests and everything, whereas Mm -hmm. in Chile, they were only there for five days, they weren't given the same fanfare, and you get the impression that there is really heavy, I don't know, Nazi influence or Nazi-type stuff, who knows? I would have to dig deeper into exactly what was going on in Chile, but the way they panned over a newspaper... You have Walt and something about Nazis on the same page. Mm -hmm. And I just can't help but wonder, was this not a great climate for them to be in by the time they got there? I kind of figured that they didn't really get a chance to explore and to research in the same way that they did. Like, they only had five days, so there's not a whole lot they could do. They probably just got 
a few details about the stuff that goes on in the country and then worked with what they had, which ended up being the little short about the plane. And they had also split up, too, because mm-hmm. some people went to Peru, and I don't have a big problem with the way they... They did a lot more talking about, like, the people the culture. of Peru, the culture. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. You don't have as many people working on the same project. It just didn't work out as well for Chile. Argentina, like I say, I think some sadness going on there. They did have that really wonderful gathering with the gauchos, and there was a lady Mm -hmm. who said that there were fruit trees in blossom, and it was just really lovely, and that was an interesting culture to explore, but their real love was Brazil. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like I, honestly, I could just spend probably all week delving into the cultures and the politics of these other countries at the time, but I didn't do that. You're welcome, you know, world, you're welcome to do that. Brazil, I really wanted to talk more about that. And really, I think one of the biggest things that has led me down the rabbit hole is the song for that cartoon. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'll loop back to that. Let's talk about slavery. (laughs) Okay. This is not going to be a comprehensive list. But as examples. Okay. So in Africa, you have the warring Africans selling Africans into slavery and all of that ugliness. And let's take Cuba, for example. The the Spanish get there, the native peoples are killed, dying of, you know, what have you. They want slaves. They bring in the Africans. And, of course, in the United States, we all know about that mess. Much said, much written. In these cultures, take Cuba from the Spanish troubadour, probably some gypsy influence mixed with the blacks, you get things like conga and rumba being born. In the United States, you have the black people inventing the drum set, banjo, you know, jazz, and eventually rock and roll is born. Mm -hmm. So you have all of these roots of music stretching back into Africa, but being blended in different ways through slavery in different countries. Now, in Brazil, the main focus of that cartoon is really on samba. Mm -hmm. That's the whole bit. And Walt had heard this particular song in the United States not being played well, but he actually met the composer of, forgive me if I butcher it, Aqua Aqua Rela do Brazil, Watercolor Brazil. And he met the composer of that song, and that became the song for this cartoon. But there's so much history behind that song. And the American version... <laughs> Hello, I'll get back. Remind me to get back to the American version. Okay. Brazil had more than a third of the slaves from Africa brought to them, the global population of Mm -hmm. these slaves. And where 
they came to was, take a wild guess. Have you ever been to Bahia? <laughs> they came to Bahia, which was the capital of Brazil. Okay, in this place, Samba developed from African Angola, Semba. But there's even more to the story. The African people brought to that region had a religion called Candomblé. And naturally, during the time of slavery, they didn't want them practicing that religion. So they got sneaky about it. And they're like, we'll just use Catholic saint names for our gods instead. <laughs> and this is a similar situation that occurred in Cuba. So they're using the Catholic saint names, but they have all of these rhythms that are meant to call on these gods. And in Cantamble, they believe in a supreme creator, but they believe in all of these lesser gods that come and guide you, and so they're forever wanting to call up these gods with different rhythms. The rhythm for Samba is most similar to the one used for Yansa, which is a goddess of like fire, lightning, romantic passion, guiding dead spirits. Well, not dead spirits, but, you know, disembodied <laughs> spirits. Stuff like that. Which, if you're like, oh, Samba, you have no idea where all of this is, you know, where the roots are of this. And today, Candomblé is practiced and it is legal. But, you know, they were getting by with it in their own, you know, it never went away. It was just sometimes legal, sometimes not. So, did it say what Catholic saint was it, was used with the samba? Um, it might have been Bridget, but I want to I want to say I'm wrong on that. I did read which one might have started with a B, but yeah. Okay, so fast forward because Brazil was also the last major country to abolish slavery in 1888. Well, what happened then? They started to migrate the black people to Rio, which was the new capital, and samba started to mix with European music. But it still wasn't like the music. There's a lot of racism. Time goes by, it's still very much black music, and it might have been the 19-teens or the 1920s, there was a man named Pichinguinha who had a group which translated were the cool guys or something like that, you know. <laughs> Leave it to black people to be like, we're the cool guys. <laughs> anyway, and they got invited on a European tour and there were whites in Brazil that were ticked. They, did, they didn't think that it was right for the blacks to be representing Brazil. But they went anyway. That didn't stop that. This gets even more interesting because they're in France. Well, American jazz players came to France, but the Brazilians were there first. And while they were there, they started to mix jazz with samba. 
So you have not only the European influence, but now jazz is in the mix, and it's this whole blend. Pishinginia traded out his flute for a saxophone. There's a whole other sound evolving. And there was also, I can't remember the name of it, but there was a form of music maybe in the 19-teens that developed that was kind of almost like New Orleans jazz in Brazil. And I'm just, you're, you're not going to get this from the, the Walt documentary. So you get to, this can be my companion ramble to the <laughs> Walt documentary. Okay, so we would deeply associate samba with Brazil at this point, And naturally with carnival. Well, where does carnival come from? It comes from a couple of different places. <laughs> <laughs> from what I can remember, and hopefully I'll get this right, not just parades, very Catholic, in Spain, but also royal processions in Africa. But yet, in Brazil, in the early days, blacks were not allowed to parade in carnival. If Walt had come 15 years earlier, he would have come to a very, very different Brazil. And I'm guessing that some of the lyrics to samba were kind of sketchy because they were not, there was a time when samba was not legal. They tried to mask it as like, we're, we're doing religion in here. We're not, we're not doing samba, <laughs> you know, like, go away, please. Um, but in 1930, the same president that Walt would have met forced his way into power. And he was a dictator. And his last name was Vargas. And he was sympathetic with fascism. He, which was kind of, <laughs> it didn't really make sense with him. Because under him, he used radio. And he wanted to, you know, it was not white power, it was him. He wanted to unify Brazil. And he wanted them to accept racial diversity and he promoted samba over the radio. And he let black people into carnival. So he wanted everybody to get together, even though he liked Hitler, which doesn't make sense. And they broadcast black samba music to fascists. <laughs> this happened. So really, he did need to get together with Walt. <laughs> mm -hmm. That was a far better... Which had that result, I mean, their alliance with America resulted in, oh, they produced rubber, you know, stuff happened. There was a catch, though. They sang about a type of person, how about I tell this right? They sang about malandros, which I think were rascals. So uh, that's why I say I can't help but wonder if some of their lyrics were sketchy. They were not allowed to sing that. The well, in the documentary, they were talking about Jose Caroca, like he was a malandro. Okay. Which is a rascal. Here's another layer that builds up to the song. For Vargas, he wanted samba music. But the catch was, you have to write about Brazilian history. Basically, you have to promote Brazil. And you remember how there was that contest to write a song for Carnival. And how he mm -hmm. won with Watercolor of Brazil. Mm-hmm. It fits so perfectly in with this era of Samba, right in with the politics of Vargas. 
and I have I do not know, but I would not be surprised if his politics influenced that contest. Hmm. Ultimately, what you don't get in America because let's face it, a lot of Americans are never going to make it to Brazil and a lot of Brazilians are never going to make it to America. So you get to hear it from me or whatever other documentary you want to watch. That's fine. Um, In America, I talked about this when we last discussed this. Saludos amigos. We have the song Brazil, which is basically watercolor of Brazil. But I noticed when I heard a little bit of the cartoon again that there seemed to be a little bit more to the tune. And then I started to wonder, do we actually have the words to this song in America? Or is this just a riff on that song? Mm -hmm. And that song, I, I don't know. It's a famous song in America. It's revered from that time period. In its own right, people have loved it. But it's very much, oh, it's totally something that an American could have written because it's somebody who's having this romantic encounter in Brazil. and But there's still so much to say, even though they're miles away. And it's totally not the same lyrics. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wondered about that. In Watercolor of Brazil, he's painting a picture oh, I don't have the translation right in front of me, but he references, oh, maybe a black woman coming out of the jungle, something about lace, all of these things that are totally about Brazil and its people, which from a historical, cultural perspective, America totally lost Mm -hmm. when it appropriated the tune and left out all the lyrics. They might have been better off if they'd left the tune and just appropriated the the lyrics to try and learn something more about their culture. And that's kind of the rabbit trail that that song (laughs) led me on. I wanted to know more of the history of Brazil, and the music tells so much of Mm -hmm. that history. So when you're watching that cartoon, don't believe that it's the same song as Helen O'Connell and Bobby Burley. (laughs) it's totally not yeah you went down a completely different rabbit trail than I did mine was more like the history of Mary Blair and Walt Disney which is kind of what this is really about but there was so much more to say about Brazil than oh they have this dance that everybody thinks is fun there's so much history and politics wrapped up in that and i wanted everybody to know about that (laughs) well now i know i didn't know any of that so you at least educated one person (laughs) (laughs) and no i don't have the same educational ramble to go on for pretty much any of the other countries although i'm sure a person could but really with the other countries the focus of the shorts was not on their music, whereas in Brazil it was. So mm-hmm. so for Argentina, now I need to go down a rabbit hole about gauchos and <laughs> Chile on their mountain range and etc. 
And then suddenly the podcast is three hours long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I say, I, well, before we started, I said, I think I have enough for two podcasts. But <laughs> really wanted to talk about Brazil. So Yeah. I guess we're not going to, like, totally get into absolutely everything that the, the documentary covers. Because, like, you definitely should watch the documentary yourself. It's really interesting. It's much better. It'd probably be much better to watch the documentary because... With the cartoons, I think it's nice for us to give our opinion, but with the documentary, so much of it is self-explanatory and very mm -hmm. educational, and we're not going to be able to reiterate it as well as just watching the documentary. Yeah. I guess the other... This isn't really a big thing, but the other thing that I want to talk about was... Well, part of it is, it's other than like the journals and the letters that were being read, the other big chunk that was being told is from, like, the people in the countries. Like, there are still some people alive today that were there mm -hmm. when Disney and all of his artists were doing this tour. So you get a lot of interviews with all these people who actually met him. Like the one Argentinian dancer who had to have been very aged when they made the documentary. He was able to talk about it a little mm -hmm. bit. And was it, like, his daughter and son that were able to talk about it, too? Might have been. So that was good, yeah. And sometimes you would get, like, the family members of these people that basically their time with Walt had almost become, like, family lore because they were telling these stories as if they were there themselves, even though it was their parents who just had told them these stories so much that they knew what their parents had experienced. It would be really, really something. <laughs> mm -hmm. To me, like, the one, <laughs> I guess this is the most memorable, was there was a guy who worked at a magazine during this time and he was talking about disney's visit had taken place at the same time as a visit from bing crosby this and was so funny he was basically saying that they dedicated three pages to disney's visit but only one to bing's and the main this was because disney actually like he cared took the time to yeah he and took they the time to get to, to meet people to visit with them to learn their culture to learn about their country and Bing Crosby only wanted to play golf. <laughs> Which was so Bing. It was so Bing. And that doesn't make him a terrible person, but he loved golf so much. And I think a kind of a similar instance may have happened at the end of the filming of White Christmas. Feel free to correct me in the comments below. But I think they had visiting royalty that wanted to watch them film. They'd already filmed the scene. The scene being needed to be there but he was done he wanted to go golf and he left and they were left to just try and act natural <laughs> while <laughs> he was he wasn't there so yes i enjoy bing crosby movies but but that was very much big <laughs> sorry south america <laughs> but no walt was definitely delighted to learn about people mm -hmm. and be with people and they felt that. Mm hmm You remember that one little lady who started whistling from Snow White, the hi-ho, yeah. hi-ho? And she's like, oh, are you filming already? <laughs> <laughs> that was cute. Yeah, there was a lot of moments like that that just interesting to see these the people that were there or have memories related to this. It's just a really interesting documentary. So if you have a chance definitely check this one out 
It's not on Disney Plus yet, but it will be. I don't remember exactly when it's coming. I had to rent it from Amazon, so there are ways to watch it now. But eventually it will be on Disney Plus, so maybe I, maybe by the time this episode releases, it will be on Disney Plus. I think even if you don't watch Disney films, which most people probably at least watch something, if not a lot of things, from the very perspective of that time in history, the mm -hmm. struggle with World War II, it's very interesting. It's a snippet that you're not going to hear all the time. Even if you're already interested in World War II history, this is yet another angle mm -hmm. to add to your knowledge. Yeah. That's one thing that surprised me about this was the how much it was more about the history rather than about the films. Because I was expecting more behind-the-scenes stuff on Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros. And that is in here a little, but this is really more of a historical piece. And his his was, own personal journey, the journey of the people yeah, emotionally and and definitely the politics. So, yes, very interesting stuff. Yeah, I was surprised that it was that much, but in a good way. I, I really enjoyed this. And now you're ready to watch the section on Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Okay, well, I think that's going to be all for this episode. What's next? Well, I think after this episode, I think I'm going to have my friend Eli Sanza on. We're going to talk about Three Caballeros TV show. Oh my. Which is a recent show, and I figured you probably wouldn't want to watch 12 or 13 episodes. So I figured, I know he's already watched it. I could see how they could totally turn that into a TV show, though. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the next episode in this little series. But the next episode for us, actually, I think it'll end up being another historical piece. We're going to be talking about a movie called Victory Through Air Power. We which, are. <laughs> Glad. <laughs> I mentioned it a while ago, but I, I, maybe you forgot. This It's not part of the like set Disney canon, but this is another part, another movie oh, that was I made during I the kinda, war. I think I do kind of remember you mentioning that. Okay. Yeah. I, I've never watched it. I'm interested to see what it is. I know this is going to be more of a historical piece, but I know you like that kind of thing. So, so it's going to have some live action? I think so. Okay. But I'm not sure how much. I don't know what the ratio is to animation live action. I don't well, know. I hope they have some women on there so I can look at their hairstyles and stuff. But anyway, it sounds like it'll be interesting. Yeah. So that'll be next time whenever that happens to be. So I guess we'll see you then. Bye. Thanks to Sarah for joining me for these past three episodes of the Disney Movie Marathon. Next time we'll finish up the miniseries, but I'll have a new guest. Eli Sanza will be joining me, and we'll be talking about the recent Disney animated series that spun off of the Three Caballeros, the legend of the Three Caballeros. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Disney Movie Marathon.